0: Hi, I'm Frankie de Jong and you're listening to VR Football Games.
1: football ranks and La Liga is back. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Jack Collins and I'm joined by Sam Tai. Hello mate. And Dean Jones. Hello mate. How excited are we? I'm big excited for this one if you haven't noticed.
2: Oh yeah we saw we saw we heard it we heard it. Well Jack you and I are we're gonna we're gonna settle into this groove in the right way aren't we? We're gonna commentate on uh, Real Betis Sevilla, uh, so we're obviously excited for the first game and everything that comes with it. And then, of course, flowing into the weekend, it's going to be non-stop La Liga football, which
1: is something we haven't had for a long time. It's going to be great. I think we've we've loved having the Bundesliga back, Dean. But you know, expanding that last week, obviously the Primera came back. We've watched a little bit of that. But this week feels like the first kind of expansion into lots of different you know elements of football and and being able to kind of switch between two leagues or three leagues in this case. Adds a real nice element of how this weekend feels like it's going to go.
0: Poor old Bundesliga, that's it, isn't it? They've had their time in the limelight. That's it. Spotlight's no. gone. Well, I think the title race ending so early will play into La Liga's hands, won't it? Because totally, I talking, yeah, totally. Well, I, I think that's the thing that I'm most excited about. So I've finally stopped watching like games from years gone by. I've finally stopped watching birds building nests. And I'm now concentrated on the present. I'm looking at this season, and it feels really good to be watching stuff that's actually relevant to what's going to be coming up in the next week or so. I mean, um, I think that league is particularly exciting, like you say, because they are going to have the best title race, possibly the only title race. We we'll have to see what happens in Serie A yet, but um, they might be the only high profile title race we see. Um, Barca, obviously, with a two point advantage at the moment. And eleven games to play in five weeks is going to be pretty crazy. There's going to be some really weird storylines that open up, some some big um, moments, and I'm sure a few injuries or, or red cards that really affect the, those little short spells um, of games. So yeah, I think I think it's going to be really exciting. Mate. I think I was talking about this. I went
1: on friend of the podcast Asmir Begovic's pod the other week to talk about the return of all the different leagues and what I said about La Liga which stands very much true is that it's the only league where there is all of the races on there's a title race there's a massive Champions League race there's a huge Europa League race as well and a relegation scrap and I think that it's the only one of the five big leagues or the four, seeing as the French league is, is now cancelled, that where this is kind of true, everywhere else there seems to be done and dusted elements of it. You know, the top four-ish are kind of sorted in Italy. You can't really see anyone breaking, breaking through that. Whereas in Spain, it's all on in, in kind of every capacity. You look at, like you say, two points in the title race. From third down to seventh, there's a five-point gap between Valencia and Sevilla. You know, and then from you know you look at that and you think, okay, so five, six, seven, but even from fifth down to sort of tenth, eleventh, twelfth, they'll all be thinking, yeah, maybe we could nab Europa League spot. A good run here will will put us into those places. And then at the bottom, this sort of six-team scrap from everyone from Valladolid down to Espanol, you know, trying to stay in the division next year is there's something kind of for everyone here. And there's only about two clubs, I'd say, Alaves and Levante are the only two clubs in the division who probably don't have anything to play for at this point and and that means that there's exciting games literally across the board
2: yeah Yeah, that does absolutely so i think that kind of lends itself really well to a series of of quick rankings and quick predictions for the return of la liga to be honest with you i think we're going to cover a lot during this episode uh i think we should probably start with the title race that seems only fair doesn't it lads
1: yeah i think so and uh no, I'm just going to chuck it to you, Sam. Who wins this?
2: Yeah, um, so Barca have a two-point lead, but I think Real Madrid are going to win the title. I don't think that two points counts for too much. I think we can probably extrapolate something from the Bundesliga's restart here. You've got to be careful not to try and take too much from such a small sample size. But the, 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 the high-quality teams, the best teams, are now even more likely to beat the bad teams because there's no home crowd element. There's no feisty atmosphere. There's no energy or emotion to draw on for those smaller sides that may be in need of an extra 10% could be supplied, usually by their own home crowd against a big, bad giant of Real Madrid or Barcelona. So what we've seen in the Bundesliga is the top teams win home and away. doesn't really matter what happens. The quality shines through. So... Madrid and Barca have not been perfect this season, not by a long stretch, but I think they'll be better over the course of the last leg, and they'll have there'll be fewer, uh fewer upsets and fewer hurdles that they trip over because their quality will just shine through in this very sterilized atmosphere. Uh, I would also say that with Real Madrid, they have a game plan that they absolutely know and they're going back to. Whereas Barcelona can't really say the same. I mean, they made strides under Kike Setien for sure, over the course of two months or so, but they still felt a little bit caught between two styles. And I don't know 100% what Barcelona were going to look like coming out of the restart against Mallorca. I know exactly what Real Madrid are going to do because they've been doing it all season. And if I have to pick between two quite closely matched teams in terms of quality, I'm going to pick the one that has the obvious and clear and set game plan that they know they're going back to to start quicker. I think that's only natural. So Real Madrid one, Barca two. I'd back Adleti to go and grab third. And I'd drop Sevilla into fourth and and, and say and, and and you know say my apologies to, to Real Sociedad and Valencia and Hetafe who will fight and fight and fight, but I think we'll probably miss out. So one Madrid, two
1: Barça, three Atleti, four Sevilla. Wow, you've you've gone and done the second segment of this 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 podcast in, in one go. So so thanks, Sam. Um, <laughs> Dean, i just like your thoughts on the title race,
0: please, before we get onto the Champions League race. <laughs> I mean the thing is, for for Madrid to win the title, they've basically got to win 11 games straight. They've got to win every one of those games because Barca, like Sam says, the the, the good teams are going to be so much stronger, as we've seen from Bundesliga. Like, it's very difficult to see upsets. So Barca might might slip up once. So they've got a two point lead. So you imagine that Madrid are basically going to have to win every single game from here on, which which obviously is possible and something that. Uh, they've definitely done before, although it's been a few years now. Um, The reason I think Barca will edge it, uh, was a couple of reasons really. I think the break came at a really good time for them. I think it's given them time to um, obviously get Suarez back to fitness. I think that's really important. They weren't in a good place. They weren't playing well. I think they even recognised that. And they'd have been slightly relieved for the pause, have a chance to recollect themselves. And really for, for Messi to have this rest as well is something we really shouldn't underestimate and actually I think Messi on a small stage is going to be even more terrifying than playing Messi on a big stage because he is now just playing like he's in training he's playing like he's actually on a playground because there's no one there and he's just going to be walking past people like we haven't seen before it wouldn't surprise me if we see him set some sort of weird scoring record in the coming weeks because he's going to be scoring hat tricks left right and centre I reckon um and I think, I'm not sure how long ago it was now that we saw Barca play behind closed doors, probably about, was it three years ago when there was the Catalan referendum? Oh no, there, they was played a couple, there, was a, there was a game
2: about a year and a half ago, I think it was. Um, they weren't played behind closed doors once, because I remember Luis Suarez swearing his whole way through it, and someone translated the whole thing, and you could hear every word he said.
0: Yeah, maybe it's the same one. It was, it was when there was the referendum, and, and the fans were locked outside at the ones I'm thinking of, and they, they won... Three 0 I think it was, and mm-hmm. I just remember that day waiting for kickoff because it was quite close to kickoff that they stopped fans going to the game. And although it was weird, nothing changed for Barca. They absolutely battered them. Um, and so from that from that point of view, I don't see things affecting them. I think that the only the only doubt I'd have about from a Barca point of view as to why they won't win the title is um, they've conceded a lot of goals this season. I think it's the fifth highest in terms of the top 10 teams and in terms of how many goals they've conceded which obviously isn't good Um, and I think that Madrid obviously have Eden Hazard coming back they've got Asensio coming back Um, and I think that they they will just focus on this as as almost like a mini tournament and just take that mentality that's in them with Zidane win the Champions League three times in a row and and kind of switch that into into league, league focus and say right every game is a cup final here we go 11 matches it's definitely possible that, that Madrid can do it. I just think, for me, the fact that Suarez is back and, and Messi is rested, I just think Barca will, will just keep their, their distance.
2: There's something to be said here for, for, for the youth in a team and the legs in a team, given you have to play so many games uh, over such a short space of time. And one of the problems Barca have had transitioning out of Valverde's kind of more cautious outlook... Regimented, in, yeah. Yeah, re- into, into Setien's... You know, he's more in line with Barca's... Ideal principles, and that you know includes a higher press, higher energy, includes a higher line. And the truth is that Barca's squad is quite old. Um, there are a lot, a lot of their key players are, are thirty plus. You know, PK, Busquets, Messi, Suarez, and um, it's going to be a theme running through the table as, as as we get to to more predictions and things about who who's going to succeed. I think that I think that Real Madrid's energy and and depth and sort of basically youth. I mean they've just got younger players full stop. They they do running through that squad is 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 a lot of youth and a lot of effervescence. I think that would be I think that would be a factor in this. I
1: think there's something to be said for the fact that Barcelona's first two games are on paper reasonably simple, whereas Real Madrid's second game is against Valencia mm. you know, on, on Thursday night or the Thursday after the kickoff. And that's a tough game. Valencia, mm. like you say, are, are, are right in this mix, are, are right in the, in the Champions League hunt. They're, they're a very good side in their own right. And I think that might have something to do. We saw with the Bundesliga that the start is where things get really quite weird. Quite quickly, you know, after teams have found their groove, you look at Bayern now and it's like nothing ever happened. But to begin with, and we looked at that bayern Union and Berlin game, and we thought, nah, that's weird. Bayern didn't even get out of second gear. If, if Real Madrid don't start fast, they're in trouble because Barcelona have more of a runway. It's, it's their third game against Sevilla, where they have their first real test. And, you know, they have a kind of two-game runway to, to take off in, in many ways. And I say that with absolutely no disrespect to Mallorca or Leganes. Who you know will will be you know looking at it as an opportunity to to get one over, especially Mallorca, who as we we'll, as we'll find out a little bit later, you know need the points very much in terms of getting out of that relegation scrap. But I just think that Barcelona have that kind of slower kind of upward curve into that, whereas straight after their first game Real Madrid have a real test of their credentials and if that doesn't go to plan Barcelona could be out of sight before they've even noticed
2: yeah it might compound the issue and look Real Madrid like if you, if you treat this as a new season Real Madrid don't start seasons very quickly like they have a habit of like ambling their way into things and then like peaking quite late on as we saw with with multiple Champions League victories but like they don't they, they do tend to kind of just like eh, we'll figure it out as we go Maybe a quick start isn't that important, whereas Barca typically do do a little bit better there. That might compound it. It might also just shake them into gear because Barca might be able to sleepwalk their way through those first two fixtures. And none of the issues that have been affecting them in the managerial and stylistic switch can actually be ironed out, maybe until they actually face a test. And it might be that Real Madrid have to kick into gear like just one game quicker. And if they do, they'll win because they're better than Valencia and they might be on the right track. We'll
1: have to wait and see, I guess. Okay, let's move this on to the Champions League. Sam, I know you've already done this. Um, yeah, sorry but, um, about that. Sorry about that. But Dean, Unbelievable. your thoughts. I mean, Sevilla 47 points, Sociedad 46, Getafe 46, Atleti 45, Valencia 42. I think Villarreal at 38 are probably a little bit far out. Um, but that's five teams for two spots. And... You know, this is this is very much a a, a good race, a, a very very exciting time if you're if you're one of the fans of these teams.
0: Totally, yeah, and I think um, I think I've got to go the Sam and put Atleti in there. I think that even though they are um, two points, I think they are off the top four right now. It's difficult to, to look past them. I mean, they can't really do much worse than they were doing before the break. And they, I mean, domestically, their campaign has been pretty atrocious. Um, and, and largely it's been because of of their problems in attack. Um, Diego Costa injuries. Uh, Jao Felix just hasn't been able to um, fully take over from where Antoine Griezmann left off. And he's injured again. He's injured um, again, isn't he? And, and and that's a problem. I, the reason I'm backing them to make it to the Champions League is because they have to. Like, it's so important to Atletico Madrid to make the Champions League. And their option is either they make the top four or they win the Champions League this season. And I don't, you know, if the Champions League even happens this season, then I don't see them winning it. Um, so, basically, because it's so important to them, then I, I think it will, and I'm going to bet them to do it. In terms of the other teams, um, I know Sam's gone for Sevilla, um, I'm just going to go a bit, bit different and just give Sociedad the benefit of the doubt and say that, that I do fancy him. Um, they've had a, what, a phenomenal campaign, really. I mean, to even be in this position right now is um, brilliant. You know, it's something that they never thought they'd get the chance to to be involved in a run-in like this, I don't think, at the start of the season. It was obviously an aim to be there, but to actually have the realism of being on the heels of these teams is, is something that they would have dreamed of. And obviously a large part of that is down to um, Martin Odegaard and, and the influence that he's had on, the, on that team. Um, and of course, um, Bell has also been been really important to them. So I don't think it's a surprise um, when you see the style of their play that I, that I back them. But I think when you look at historically, would we expect Sociedad to be there? Probably not. But um, yeah, just because of this, the style of their play and um, the fact that they have got, some a few of the season's best players i think i'd say a few of the best performers in there you've got alex isaac up front as well who, who's really exciting Mikel marino's been unbelievable in midfield yeah, yeah and i think there's three or four people there that that really would be in with a chance of making team of the year and as part of that i think why not give them benefit of the doubt and say they'll make it all
1: right let's move things slightly downwards these three europa league spots fifth sixth and seventh is there any way you see You know, we've just talked about five teams for two spaces in the Champions League and and trying to get that. Is there any way you see anyone popping up a little bit from below? And Sam, I know that you're desperate for Granada to make this leap and five points below them. My heart says that Betis could make a nine point gap up, but my head says that they probably couldn't.
2: Nah man, I'm now nah, unfortunately not. I think Granada as well are just uh, they're typically not that great um, away from home. Very very good at home, and there's no doubt that that a lot of teams like Granada are going to suffer from this. They need the home crowd. They need the they need the emotion to draw on, and they need the help because they're actually just not that talented. They're well drilled uh, and they work extremely hard, but they're not that good. So I would never back them to to make that leap, and I wouldn't back VRL to do it either. To be honest with you, I think. Even four points is probably too much. And again, Real like three game, every game every three days. How how many games can Santi Cazorla play? And how yeah, many but... games can Villarreal win without Santi Cattola pulling the strings? Those, I, think you those... forgot,
1: I think you've forgotten that they also have Andre Frank Zambo Gisa running the midfield. Shut um, up. Which basically Shut guarantees up. them Europeans football, I think.
2: Shut up. Right, anyway, into the uh, into the top seven. I actually don't know what to do with this at all. I mean, I, I'm guessing that Valencia are probably going to end up staying in seventh place and Hatafe actually end up pipping them into into 6th with 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 Real with Real Sociedad in 5th but like this is the one out of all the little little rankings we got you know the top 4 the top 7 we've got the bottom 3 to come who knows honestly that's that's the beauty of it
0: but officially I'm going Sociedad in 5th Hattafe in 6th and Valencia in 7th Dean? Yeah. yeah i mean with with Valencia the only i find them quite unpredictable and hard and hard to guess because you look at where they are right now in seventh, and they've actually got a goal difference of minus one, which is really weird <laughs> to be seventh. <laughs> they're a proper kind of... weird side, Valencia. They are fun, oh, well, but they're fun weird. Because, um, you wouldn't expect to have negative goal difference in the top half of the table, obviously. So um, defensively, massively worried. And up front, I mean, there's obviously Maxi Gomez and, and there's Guedes, but you're really, really reliant on, on them making sure that that you get over the line and and, and clinch that spot. So... I have got slight doubts about Valencia, but then you, you look below them and I've got some of the same doubts about Valerao anyway. So um, they'll probably just about manage to hang in there. Indeed. Right. Before we get on to talking to our friend Stu Holden, who is
1: a part owner of Mallorca, and we'll be talking about the relegation scrap in the, in the second part of this episode. Um, we're going to just pick three players outside the top two that you should be keeping an eye on. Sam, I'm going to start with you here. So it's one each,
2: right? Yeah. One so each, I, yeah. my pick my pick is that shock horror. It's going to be a Granada player. Uh, obviously, I support Granada. I'm going to pick one of those players. I'm going to employ you to watch them. Uh, but secondly, as well, this player features in an article that I did for BR last week uh, where I teamed up with an analytics company called Analytics FC. They've got a tool called Transfer Lab, which is like a transfer solutions uh, tool. They work with like West Ham and, and West Brom and Leeds to basically answer their questions. They gave me access to the tool. It cost 40 grand a year and they gave it to me for free for a while. So that was quite cool. Had a little nice. poke around in there, some data crunching. And I drew up for an article, a list of players of various prices that could solve Arsenal's long-held number six dilemma. Who can play defensive midfield and be that anchor presence, not named Granit Xhaka, who actually does his defensive work. And one of the names that I came up with, actually the cheapest option on the list is, is someone at Granada. He's, he's on loan from Manchester City, but it's Jan Hel Herrera. And he is on the list because he's really good. Uh, I also think he'd only, probably only cost about 15 million euros or so, but he is an excellent ball winner, a really, really tenacious player uh, can spray a long pass as well and, and scores the odd screamer and, Granada aren't the prettiest watch because they're very functional. They work extremely hard. They press pretty high. They're not that talented. But there are a couple of players in there who are obviously very, very good. And Herrera is the one that doesn't belong, evidenced by the fact that he's on loan and he won't be spending the rest of his career there. But he is someone that I think this summer could easily end up signing for a very savvy team for not that much money. And he could make a huge impact at a top team as that uh, more defensive minded and tenacious midfielder who sets a platform. So watch Herrera, not only because I support Granada, uh, but also watch him because like, I think he, he's a player to keep an eye on for the future ahead of the summer and for the years to come. And I guess some of the listeners will all be reasonably familiar with him because he did spend some time at NYCFC, uh, but he's come on so much in the last two years. He's such a good player now.
0: Dean, who have you got? We've already mentioned him in, in this pod, but um, I think if you're looking outside of, of the top two for someone that's going to make an impact not just this season but in years to come then you've got to be watching martin odegaard i mean this is a player that we have heard of for about six seven years now he's only 21 um he's at real sociedad at the moment he's obviously a real madrid player um they bought him at a very young age and believe that he can become a very big part of their future and now is his time to prove it. And he has definitely been doing that this season. He's brought a real dynamism to, to Sociedad's play. Um, someone said to me recently that, like, what is he actually like? Because if you look at stats, he, he doesn't look like that impressive. But I think that when you what, you have to watch him to appreciate exactly how good he is. And, and what it'll often be is that Odegaard is, I guess, the pass before the assist often or, or things like that. He'll, he'll always be involved. He's a, a very important player um and without doubt i see him fitting in, in in madrid in the future this is a lad that at the age of 13 started training with the, his first team in norway and by 15 was like a regular part of their squad at least in terms of training um he's had such promise for so long and for so many players that is a burden that they fail to live up to and there's definitely been a, a couple of times in the last few years where you wonder if odegaard is really going to make it up and and become the real elite player that he should become and I think this season he absolutely is showing that he will do it and I think his big next test will come at the end of this season when um, Madrid decide do do they take him back and actually give him a chance in their side or do they let him stay at Sociedad for one more year Um, that's going to be his big decision but yeah honestly watch Sociedad for many reasons but one of them to watch Odegaard.
1: I'm obviously going to pick a Betis player. Um, because like, other, in other news, grass is green, water is wet, the sky is blue. Um, but <laughs> I I was going to go for Joaquin, for, you know, just for literally historic reasons. But I'm going to go for Nabil Fekir. Um, seven goals, three assists, you know, in, in La Liga. I think that goes up to six assists if you bring in all competitions. He's been a real spark in what's been quite a disappointing campaign for Betis. And, you know, the, the last game before the break, we beat Real Madrid. Uh, and it all just felt like it clicked into place for one game. You know, it, it was all sort of it was a bit chaotic, yeah. But at no point did I think the betters were going to lose that game. Whereas for the whole season, it's been a case of missed opportunities of, of kind of playing really well one week and then really badly the next. But Feki has been reasonably consistent. You know, he's quite a mercurial player at the best of times. But when he is good, he's probably the best player in this league outside the top two. And, you know, we we saw him linked to Liverpool for so long and that that kind of missing out and that the way that that transfer played out felt really weird. But and then Betis getting him and everyone being like, that's a sideways move, if not maybe a step down and and all of these things. And, and he's come into this Betis side. It hasn't been smooth sailing. You know, there's been quite a lot of weird bits about how him and Canales fit into the same side, both sort of left footed attacking tens who don't really enjoy playing wide, but sometimes forced wide. And it's all been a bit sort of, how do you find the balance? But there seems to be some sort of understanding there with with Fekir and, and how he's sort of developing into this side. And if they've spent the break, working out how to tactically fit all these pieces into the same side, then this bet and this better side need to explode out of the blocks if they're to have any any chance. You know, I know we just wrote it off a uh, Europa League, but that's what they'll be looking at. You know, they'll be going eight points is is make upable. And especially with with the situation as it is and especially with you know no idea how this is going to play out, you know, they're going to need to really explode out of the blocks. And I think they will go for it. I think that's how Betis will play. You know, at the best of times, they're they're a bit mad, and you know this is this is not the best of times. So I assume they're going to be full on chaos, and with that in mind, I think that Fekir is going to be a really really special watch over the next couple of weeks because. A lot of the creative onus is going to fall on his shoulders.
2: I don't think it's wrong to say that, he was a, that it was a step down to go from Leon to Betis. I mean, he, moved, he went from Champions League football to not Champions League football. It's a step down. He just seemed to make a calculated gamble would, on um, his ability to. Would, would Ben on, on, on Chilwell joining
1: Man United be a step down? Um, no, but your argument Man, doesn't stand up. Right. Let us move on. And we have uh, a little interview now that Sam and I did with. Stu Holden, an old friend of the pod, uh, BR's very own on-screen analyst for Champions League games, and also a part owner of Mallorca. Sam, uh, it was really good fun, wasn't it? Oh, it's always a delight to speak to Stu. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And we sort of forgot that he owned a club until like three days before the podcast. And we were like, hey, we should definitely talk to him about that. Like, that's quite interesting. So uh, it was good to get the owner's perspective on, uh, you know, how the coronavirus has has impacted him and his team and how it's impacted football in general. And just to see, you know, how he feels about Mallorca's chances of staying up.
1: (laughs) Welcome back to Be Our Football Ranks where we are delighted to be joined by an old friend of the podcast, Mr. Stu Holden. Stu, how are you doing? How are you holding up?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm a friend and I'm not old. So, you know, I, I, current, current, you're aging me already, Jack. Jeez, oh, no, come on. on. No, I'm happy to be here, guys. Good, good to see you both. And the league is coming back and you must be
1: absolutely over the moon, mate.
3: Uh, Yeah, well, I I guess you could look at it that way. I mean, look, the when the season took a pause, we were in the relegation zone, we still are in the relegation zone. And it, it has been a challenge, I think, for all different leagues and clubs and teams to Find the right way to come back. We've all seen the Bundesliga, the success that they've had. And that was a meticulous plan over a number of months. There were different rumors about what would happen with La Liga with the season end as it was, would they have no relegation? One that got me a little excited because I was thinking, oh, well, we're not going to be relegated this year. Um, but then, ultimately, look—the the right thing is happening. You had to finish these seasons. You had to find a safe way to do it. You had to, you know, make sure that health was at the forefront of all of these different plans. And the Liga is coming back. I'm beyond excited. Other than the fact that we're playing Barcelona in an empty stadium, and Messi was announced that he's going to be fit, so that's that's just great. <laughs> Easy start.
1: Easy start.
2: Jeez, man, I can't. I can't. I, I, Surely, there's nothing better to dampen your spirits ahead of a big restart than facing that little magician. I mean, I know obviously as a as a fan of a different team that comes up against Messi, it's tough. but you obviously appreciate him so much, and, and then a club that you part own goes up against him. Is there a part of you that just despises him for ninety minutes <laughs> there?
3: Well, you know, I'll tell you a story. I went to watch Mallorca play at the Camp Nou back in, I think it was November or December. uh, And I took my wife over, Steve Nash came over and, you know, we're were in the director's box and we're sitting next to, you know, all the big higher-ups from Barcelona watching this game and Messi put on a masterclass, as you'd expect. He he scored a hat trick. I just found myself watching him throughout the entire game, his movements, his off the ball, things that you don't get to see when you're either called a game because you're so focused on the other action or as a fan on tv you don't get to see the nuanced parts of the game and really see him and he's he's just on another planet and in many ways I found myself applauding him and you know that when we actually scored our first goal Mallorca so we went down in the game but then we scored when it was 2-0 you know I jumped up and was celebrating with my wife and we looked around and like everybody in the director's boxes just kind of sat there and it was just like quiet applauses and I talked to our CEO after the goal and he's like yeah, you're not supposed to celebrate in the owner's box. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not sure how I can contain my excitement when we score at the camp now. And this is my first experience of all this. So, like, the next time we score, we're just, like, gripping each other's arms and kind of celebrating. And we lost 5-2. So I was like, well, at least I celebrated and got something out of this experience. Yeah, you know, the, <laughs> the other interesting part, Sam, is of what you brought up is that, like, Mallorca, we as a team, have only one point away from home in La Liga this season. And... At home is our strength, our fans, the environment that they create. We beat Real Madrid at home earlier in the season. Uh, It is really a place where we feel we can pick up points. Now coming back, there's not going to be fans. It's going to be an empty stadium. Uh, Teams we've already seen in the Bundesliga have had great success away from home, and that home field advantage has really been nullified to to a large extent other than the big teams. Bayern Munich have continued to win and Dortmund the same. But I'm curious to see if that either helps us away from home or how big of a disadvantage that is for us now. It's something we've talked about a lot as a club and the, with the coach about, do we employ different tactics? Do we have a different strategy in, in the way that we build up or the way that we try to put teams under pressure? Because uh, this, I think looking from afar, I'm a little discouraged at the fact that we're not going to be able to pick up those points potentially at home or that that home field advantage is going to be nullified for us.
2: Stu, on the uh, on the running of the club then, since you are, we are, you are so involved in that side of things, obviously it's been very difficult during a global pandemic and particularly for Mallorca which is obviously you know there's no home crowd and and there's an in-stadium experience in Mallorca that's really quite special with uh, like the like v- the VR stuff with the tunnel walk and you've got VIP sections obviously tourism is a huge part of this like what have you had to face particularly given you are in such a tourist destination here during the pandemic?
3: Yeah it's it's been incredibly difficult for our club and and You know, our president, Andy Kohlberg, has has spent uh, a good amount of time there. Uh, We have an incredible staff on the ground that have been working really hard on this. But ultimately, this has been a challenge for us uh, much like all the other clubs in football, but I think the smaller clubs, you know, we're a team that were really, uh promoted back-to-back seasons, so we're already the lowest budget in La Liga. We're, you know, just fighting for survival in the league. We're trying to capitalize on being in La Liga because we don't know how long that is going to be. So our, you know, our revenue numbers were up massively with TV and uh, season tickets and the attendances that we we're getting, and now we're looking at a situation where instantly we had to revise the budget because you know we're not going to have fans in the in the fan, in the stadium over the the next part of the liga although the president um Tebas came out and said there may be a chance in certain areas where Mallorca is actually further ahead in the uh, the levels of phases than uh, Madrid, for example, or Barcelona, where it was hit a, a lot heavier. So we might, and we're holding out hope that perhaps we might get some fans back and some revenue. But, but really, we've, we've had to navigate that. and uh, Negotiations with the players, with coaches for salary reductions, like many of the other teams have done, to navigate through this challenging period, um, We had staff that had to take cuts as well. And that's just, I think I would say we've really seen the people that have been bought in and have been a part of this culture and this growing club and really thankful for the rest of the people that have been open to really navigating this period to get us out of it the other side. And now ultimately, really, it is about football. It is about staying in La Liga. It is a fight for survival. Sponsorships, commercial, all that other stuff really comes secondary to the football because uh, for us it's really important right now that we focus on that. The one good thing though, that we have been able to do, and, and I'm a big credit goes to our CEO, Alfonso Diaz with this, is that uh, he has uh, led an initiative to rename the stadium, visit Mallorca because with other companies on the Island that have also struggled really just putting uh, Majorca Mallorca at the forefront as another tourist destination. Once again, that people can start to come back and raise awareness that we can and do our part as a football club to the Island to, to bring back some of those commercial interests that, that really help the island uh, function on a daily basis.
2: Absolutely, my Orca Stadium—it's
1: got a nice ring to it, that. Yeah,
2: I yeah, quite liked it. We'll
3: keep it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think what I was going to go on, and we we talked about it a little bit earlier, Stu. But how's the, what's the feeling inside the camp about the return? What's you know is you know there's obviously going to be a level of excitement about getting back on the pitch, getting back to it, and like you said, trepidation about what might lie ahead. The kind of whole system around this pandemic—you know, nothing is certain. What's the what's the feeling inside your camp?
3: I think one of of positivity, and I mean that that's a message I you know you, you we've been preaching from day one of of at this club, and it it really does feel to me honestly from from hearing from uh, our staff over on the island right now that there's a sense of togetherness, there's a sense of from the players, hey let's get through this next two months, and look the the, the health and safety we talked about already is has been really at the forefront of the plan for La Liga. We've known for a couple of weeks that this would be coming back. The different phases of training, beginning the team training in the last week or so, and really getting the group together now and just saying, Hey, look, we have an opportunity against the Barcelona. Look, I will make the case for that this is a good time to face a team that is full of talent, stacked of talent with Messi's and Griezmann's and all these great players, but yet these guys aren't going to be fully match sharp. I mean, we saw it in the Bundesliga the first week. Bayern didn't look like Bayern. Dortmund took, you know, a, a little bit to really get that attack going. You could make the same case for us, but I believe that we're a team that doesn't have – the high level of skill that, you know, Barcelona does. That's, that's a given. And I think that we require more and we rely more on our team unity and our ability to work together and grind out results. And I think that we'll be seeing that in the, in the first match and really, uh, the group is looking forward to getting back. I'm, I've already with Steve. We're gonna go down to his house. We're gonna open up a couple beers, a bottle of red wine, Spanish Rioja, and we're gonna watch our team. 1 p.m. local here, and we're gonna get drunk and have a good time, regardless of if we win or lose in this game.
1: <laughs> That's how I feel about most of the football yeah. at the moment. i <laughs> actually, I was saying it the other day, but I've actually really enjoyed not being engaged with with actually supporting a team. It's been really nice having the Bundesliga back, and you know, you can all there's all this stuff about oh, pick a Bundesliga team and support them, but but, you know, it doesn't happen overnight like that. And, you know, that as well as anyone. So it's been yeah. really nice just watching it and be like, I can have a, a very sort of asymmetric view. On, I know, on this yeah, city. it's and just having on in back. the background.
3: It's almost white noise in a way. It's just soothing to have football back. Honestly, uh, I, I can't I can't wait. It's, it's nice now, to, just to get, get excited
2: bad. about certain things and be happy, but then also not experience the sadness the other side. So you can choose <laughs> to only like the bits that you like and then just ignore everything else. It's perfect. But on the uh, on the playing squad, too, there's one player in particular that I want to ask you about Get your get your view on having having watched him all season. He'll be of interest to our our listenership as well. It's Kubo Takafusa Kubo, the Japanese lonie from Real Madrid. Lot of hype, lot of hype, heading into the summer about him, and and you managed to pick him up on loan. What's the verdict?
3: Uh, he's special, R- really special. Look, when when Kubo is at his best he's the best player on our team uh, it's not even close and uh, from from an upside from a potential from you know just pure quality uh, standpoint he is a difference maker within the game uh, what he has to add to his game i think is consistency in the final third that's you know last pass last shot finishing um, you know, those are those are the areas. He, he has a real ability if you watch him play. And even against Barcelona, uh, where we were outmatched and we lost the game 5-2, uh, he was sensational. I mean, he, his, his speed, one against one, his ability to get away from a man on a consistent basis, uh, his decision making at times is so... Elite and, um, you know, making little one, two passes to get himself out of pressure, facing up defenders, uh, his awareness on the field of where the space is, when to come inside. I I would say where I really feel that he's improved his game. And this is because he's had to play in a team that hasn't had a, a ton of possession that that really relies on the system and its uh, togetherness in a 4-3-3, he's played wide for us, he's also played centrally, is his defending. Because our system doesn't work if our wingers don't defend. And, you know, we had Lago Jr. last season who who's, uh, was a fantastic player. Uh, he learned that side of his game under our manager Vicente Moreno, who was a, you know, hard-nosed two-way center midfielder in his playing days and really, you know, drills that into our team positionally where do you need to be defensively Uh, when can you help back against your fullback and if you watch Kubo he's actually coming back and making tackles uh, in our defensive third down near the corner flag and then still picking up the ball and driving it the other way So I I really feel this has been an important time for his development as a player. And when you look when he goes back uh, to Real Madrid, he will be a better player because of that. We'd love to keep him for another season. I I think we're still in discussions about how and if that is going to make sense for us again. But if he can really... you know, polish up that final third. Think of a Martin Odegaard right now with Sociedad and the form that he's been on for them. He's been uh, one of the best players in all of La Liga. Um, and Real Madrid will be watching his progress thinking, okay, he's going to be ready. Another year or two like this from Kubo, he will be ready to to play for Real Madrid. I have no doubts about that.
2: Yeah, it's a high, it's a high ceiling for him. But like he's got to, I mean, there's so much competition in that Real Madrid squad yeah. because you can make three... Three attacking midfield bands of nine players in total. <laughs> you know, with with Asensio coming back uh, as well after an ACL tear, and you've got Isco, you've got Hazard, Rodrigo, Vinicius, Oscar Rodriguez on loan elsewhere in the league has been fantastic. Yeah, it, it might just be working in your favor that they've got quite so many players there, man, because you might end up getting him back. But it's yeah, good to I, hear I think in the
3: short term, for sure, I, I I agree with you, and I I I think in my understanding of the situation is that he would be available for another season on loan you know, for us or for another clubs. And, and as you'd expect, I know a lot of other clubs have watched his progress with us and thought, Hmm, you know, he'd, he'd do a job for us for sure. So we, we will have competition if we want to keep him and uh, you know, without going into the specifics of how the deal is actually structured right now. Um, you know we we would love to have him for another season no doubt about it
2: well i mean the first thing that you need to do to to have a chance of keeping him again for a second season is stay, stay up league. right so <laughs> what uh, what what does it take final question what does it take uh, to keep Mallorca career in la liga this season
3: you know we we've we've shown some really positive signs in games where we have had chances we've scored chances we've taken leads but we continue to make errors at the back that um, have cost us points whether on set pieces giving away penalties little moments that in La Liga there's no forgiveness in Segunda we were able to get you know concede some of those goals and then go down the other end and score or we were able to maintain and uh, maintain those leads even in the promotion playoff I mean we had an incredible second leg where we were up three nil and everything was great. And then we made a mistake towards the end of the game. They had a free chance within six yards and our keeper comes up with an unbelievable save that, that got us to La Liga. Those are the, the margin of errors you don't get in La Liga right now. And really I, I hope that we can maintain con- concentration over the course of 90 minutes and really, just have a momentum and an energy and a feeling within the group that we can do this. And it would be a huge achievement, honestly, because I think the last budgetary figures that I saw, we're the lowest salary in La Liga by 30 million uh, euros. And that's a large gap when we're talking talent and the ability and the, the amount we're able to pay our pay our players. So if we can stay in, you know, I'll be on here drinking some champagne with you guys uh, coming <laughs> into the
1: season. We'll have, we'll have a celebration. But <laughs> well, Stu, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh vamos Mallorca. And, and yeah, let's vamos. Play. Good luck, buddy. Yeah,
3: always great to see you, boys.
1: Welcome back to Be Our Football Ranks. And thank you so much to Stu Holden for joining us and his insight on what it's been like owning a club during this kind of mad times. It leads us on quite nicely to our relegation chat. And Dean, there seems to be six teams in this. Valladolid twenty-nine points, Ibar twenty seven, Celta Vigo twenty six, and then in the relegation zone currently, Mallorca twenty-five, Leganes twenty-three, Espanol twenty. For a club, we'll start with Espanyol, because for a club of Espanyol's stature and size to be in the position that they are is, frankly, staggering. You look at the players at their disposal. You look at Raul de Tomar, who we picked out as a, a genuine talent when he went to Benfica. It didn't work out for him, although he has started scoring a little bit since his return to Spain. Roulet, who's one of the most hard-working forwards in the division. Mark Roca, who's an incredible talent still. You know, Naldo's got good head on his shoulders. Yes, he's a little bit over the hill. We'll give you that. But also, you know, still a, a very competent defender. There's Sergi Darder, who's a talented footballer. Diego Lopez is an all right goalkeeper. Victor Sanchez is there. Facundo Ferreira. There's a lot of players here who you're like, you're way too good to go down. And yet, yet here they are.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Look, no, I, I think Espanyol are going to stay up. I've actually only got two. Uh, I've got two of the guys, two of the teams in the bottom three right now. I've got them. I've got them surviving. So I've got Espanyol to stay up. I know it's an ask because they are cut adrift, but they've got. I think they, the way the way you look at this, or the way I've decided to look at it, maybe I should say, uh, it's the same way I've always looked at the Premier League relegation battle. It's about measuring how many goals that you've got in your team. And look, it's all good being solid and everything, but if you can't win games, you can't stay up. And Stoke City looked solid as anything when they had Kurt Zuma, Bruno Martins Zindi, Ryan Shawcross, Jack Butland. They still went down because they couldn't score any goals, right? So you look at the amount of goals that teams can possibly score in this situation. Raul Tomas gives Espanyol a big lifeline in this team. And he has started to score goals. You're right, Jack. I think he got four in four and six or something after after joining he was excellent. Mallorca actually have goals as well because they have Budimir, they have Kucho Hernandez, they have they have Kubo, who Stu referenced so glowingly. And then you look at Leganes and obviously this they're, they're the the ultimate victims of the Martin Braithwaite fiasco, right? So they've not only have they lost him but they lost End the Siri in in January as well who went to Sevilla. So they 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 had basically their two strikers stolen from them more or less via a release clause and a ridiculous ruling from La Liga for Martin Braithwaite to go to Barcelona. And Leganes now, I feel like, are just going to plummet because they do not have the goals, I don't think, to keep pace with some of the other guys. Whereas Celta Vigo, Aspas is going to save them because he always does. That's going to happen. I think Mallorca will just about squeeze out of it. And I think it's Abar who end up dropping in because they're really old. Like. Yeah. They're, they've like I looked at the squads. You've got uh, Charles, Oriana, Diop, Pedro, Leon, Arbia, De Blasis, Inui, Cote and Enrich. Nine players. I'm counting that right. Nine players who are all thirty or more. Charles, Oriana, and Diop are thirty four and thirty six. Yeah. All of these players that I mentioned have played twenty or more appearances in the league this season. How the hell is
1: that team supposed to play every three days? The only thing I would say is that Oriana has. Seven goals and six assists in La Liga. He's up there with. He's he's messing with Oyazaba, players like Gerard Moreno. You know, he he's in that mix of, of how much they've created this season. If Ibar are going to stay up, and Ibar always. Seem to do this by the skin of their teeth. The way that they're set up as a club, you know, and I've just finished reading Ewan McTair's book about them, I Bar the Brave. It's a phenomenal read and about how they how they got there, how they kind of escaped relegation through the first time through sort of weird ruling and and some strange financial miscues and things. And then since then have kind of just battled massively against the odds to stay up in the division. And if they're going to do it, it's the players that have kept them up this far that are going to do so. Like you say about Aspas, that's kind of how I feel a bit about Oriana. But like he mm. is actually still that good for Ibar. And if they are going to stay up, then that's very much where it's coming from, age or not.
2: Yeah, yeah, I understand that. I just, I don't, I can't see a collection, a squad quite that old, genuinely coping with the with the intense circumstances that they're about to walk into i mean look that means i've got mallorca staying up i've got celta vigo staying up i've got i don't know what to do with valladolid um to be to be frank i i think i'm well you're gonna to have to relegate them I'm given okay. you, given i think, you i have saved everyone else i think i'm gonna to have to relegate them in 18th place uh, i think Leganes are gonna to drop to the bottom they it does, and it's gonna be a massive shame like they're gonna be the ultimate victims of a of a ridiculous ruling which is i think is basically taking them out of the equation with braithwaite
1: okay well, there we have it. Sam's uh, one to stay up. It means that Espanol are somehow going to make up nine points on Valladolid in, in yeah. 11 games, which feels yeah. like a lot, Sam. Um, it does, yeah. yeah. Especially when there. you wrote off my Betis for not being able to get into the Europa League when they were nine points
0: off with 11 games to go.
2: Well, I mostly uh, just did that because it, it might upset you.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Dean, your bottom three? Yes, yeah, so I'm keeping Espanol nailed to the bottom because... They don't score goals and they let in loads. So I don't really buy into Sam's logic on that one. Um, so Espanyol down. Um, Mallorca, sorry, Stu. Um, just don't see them getting out of it. And then I'm, I'm going with Ibar as well. Um, just for the sort of reasons similar to what Sam talked about there, but also because their first game back, I think they're going to get absolute paced um, they, They've got Real Madrid. Um, And I think that, you know, for any team down there, you want a bit of a confidence boost. Okay, you could look at it like Mallorca might look at it because they're playing Barcelona and just be like, okay, this is a, we can't lose this one. Either way, we're expected to lose. If we win, then great. But... There's ways that you can lose and I've just got a feeling that Ibar are going to really not get off to a great start when we get going.
1: I mean, I, I'm with you into a point, Sam. I think Leganes will finish bottom. I just can't see them picking up pretty much any more points given the situation that they found themselves in. I like th- what you're thinking about Espanyol and I do think that they will pick up points, but I just can't see them picking up enough points to make up that kind of deficit compared to, to those around them. So I think that Espanol will still go and I, I'm with you though. I think Valladolid are in trouble. I think it's going to be either Valladolid or Mallorca as as the last one. I think Eibar will stay up. Um, I think they've got the experience. They've got the you know the kind of quality in many ways. You know, it's obviously a weird thing to say given that they are a very low budget side. With but they have that kind of cohesiveness, that kind of togetherness, and I, I think they will just about hold out. And I think Aspas alone will be enough to lift uh, Vigo out out of this. So. Yeah, I think it will be a it will be a touch paper race between Valdepe and Mallorca for the last spot, and there's four points between between them right now, and um, so that involves Mallorca really kind of obviously bartering aside, trying to pick up some points quite quickly and, yeah. and seeing if they can get out of it.
2: Well, the good thing about all this is it's probably given us all something to root for here because we've all got slightly different opinions. We've all we've all backed and uh, dismissed certain sides. So turns out the relegation race or race to avoid relegation in La Liga is going to be the most enthralling thing to watch for the ranked squad because it will directly influence who you trust the most out of us
1: three. Yeah. <laughs> Let's finish this episode off by picking a game each uh, that you're excited to watch. And Dean, I'm going to go to you first because I assume you're going to pick one of the big boys.
0: I'm picking Real Madrid either. And oh. Now, not everyone's hipster out there. Some people just want to watch the best teams. Um, And And you can't not You just said
2: that this was going to be just like a smashing.
0: It is. This is what I'm going to say. You can't not watch Real Madrid come back from this break and not only just come back in action, but also the fact that they're playing in a completely different environment is what really intrigues me. So obviously Madrid, which we haven't really mentioned yet, aren't playing at the Bernabeu for, for the rest of the season. Um, They're playing at um, Stadio Alfredo de Stefano. Um, It's a little 6,000 seater at their training complex. Um, I was reading a bit about it the other day, and it's all, you know, the the ground is built to pretty much mirror the environment of the Bernabeu in terms of, you know, the dimensions of the pitch are exactly the same. The grass is even exactly the same as they have um, at the Bernabeu. And actually, I think they're going to benefit from this even more than if they were playing at the Bernabeu because um, while they they would have been fine playing in that huge stadium, they are just still beaten all these teams, the fact that they're not, the fact that you're just playing on this smaller stage, um, it really is just a little stadium like you'd get in the lower leagues. Um, it's you're beautifully equipped. Feel... Is it the <laughs> youth yeah. league stadium? Is it where the yeah, under-19s play?
1: I believe it's where it can still yeah, gonna
0: It's going to feel like a pre-season game or, um, or a lower league game, that you see played out and I I honestly think that in that sort of environment where Madrid are are used to training there as well it's going to have that training ground feel to it and they are just going to absolutely tear teams apart. I think that while you could say well teams going there won't have the fear factor of walking out of the Bernabeu I I don't think they'd have that anyway if the stadium's empty so I think that um, the away teams aren't going to have anything to gain from going to Real Madrid's training ground and playing against them. And and I think that this is the first time we're really going to see all of this come together and, and one, see just how hungry Madrid are to win this title. Obviously, they're going to be playing after Barcelona as well. So the, the chances are that they they literally have to win every game. So they're, they're put in a bit of a difficult situation, Madrid, because they seem to always be playing after Barca have played, which is a bit of a disadvantage for them because they don't get to turn the tables at any stage. Um, but yeah, I think we're looking at like Madrid, five, a 5-0 win here to get things going again. Um, <laughs> Dean, Dean, honestly,
2: the things that you just said over the last minute and a half, you described it as like a pre-season game, like a training ground, 5-0 yeah. win. Yeah. How none of these are reasons to watch this game. They are.
0: But <laughs> well, you don't like seeing complete dominance and elitism. <laughs> no, not really. No. <laughs> why? <laughs> you, why don't you want to see teams at their very best? Have you not enjoyed watching Bayern Munich? Absolutely yeah, I, I did. But I, I watched
1: them. I, I really enjoyed watching them play Leverkusen, where the game was back and forth. There was, you know, yeah, game was games over the top.
0: But in a situation like this where, like, there's a team like Ibar who think they've got half a chance of, of staying up and Madrid are like, now, see you later. <laughs> that's, that's what I like seeing. All right, okay, all right. fair enough. I mean, it's a
1: fair enough point. It's, uh, it's each to their own in so many ways. I'm interested that, about the stadium, though, because playing at the Di Stefano instead of the Bernabeu is, one, really interesting, and two, uh, I'm kind of intrigued as to how it plays out, especially for TV and stuff, how it's going to look. Um, but also that Barcelona haven't done the same with the Estadio Johan Cruyff. You know, they, they have the exact same option, pretty much in, in almost an identical complex that they have chosen not to to take on. They they've chosen to play their games at an empty Camp now, which I find intriguing. And to see what the kind of two different sides of this argument are going to be uh, is something that like massively intrigues me as a storyline. Sam, what what are yeah. you going for? Well, June 15 is Real Betis-Granada. It is the, the Jack-Sam derby.
2: Which is the Jack-Sam derby, which is always an interesting one. We are 1-0 up on aggregate uh, in terms of those scorelines because we did, we did indeed beat Betis earlier this season. Thriller, wasn't it, Jack?
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, thriller.
2: Absolute thriller. Yeah, really uh, we, enjoyed, caught, actually, we, we caught Betis when they were probably at, potentially at their peak dysfunctionality. Uh, I would say during that game it was a really quite a poor performance, but they've improved a lot since. So let's see if they can put up a better fight this time. But that's probably not the the recommendation. I like um I like basically Sausy running. I think if you watch Real Sausy you basically get to see how the entire top six, top seven plays out because they just seem to play everybody. June twenty one they play Real Madrid at home. July fifteen, which is the penultimate game, they play Severe at home, and then four days later on the last day they've got Atletico Madrid. So in the space of like less than a month. You've got Real Madrid, Sevilla, Atletico. Watch Sociedad, watch their games, and you will see everything transpire through their lens. And I think that's the, the best advice I can give anybody looking to watch La Liga over the course of the next month and a half.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's a fair point. And Sociedad have been a team we've mentioned a lot this year. And there's, there's severe reasons for that. And, you know, we said when the Bundesliga came back, you should watch Bayer Leverkusen because they're absolutely crazy and it's well fun to watch. And, and so it has transpired in the same way you know Gladbach have been a little bit up and down and and a bit mad and and that kind of race for the the top 4 I think has been what's the most exciting thing in the Bundesliga I think it's going to play out very similarly in La Liga that that kind of five team chasing pack for the Champions League spots is where a lot of the drama and excitement is going to play out over the next month or so, and and like you say, Sam, Sociedad basically functioned as the one team to watch there because they play almost everybody else, which, yeah, yeah. which makes them I haven't uh,
2: seen um haven't seen the cutout of Dean Jones at uh, Borussia Park yet on no. the t- on TV ateddieport I've been looking I've been looking really looking for that one. I haven't seen you mate did you definitely get the um definitely yeah, get it it set off?
0: I don't know if they put me in the upper tier or what um...
1: <laughs> in the Gods <laughs> mate. Did you not ask them to put you behind the goal? You are like, do you not know who I am?
0: (laughs) I might look into that. Um, I didn't even read the email properly when it came back. So maybe it does tell you where you are. But I know that you're supposed to get the cutout sent to you at the end of the season. Oh, yeah, that's good.
1: We can put that up in the new studio when we we finally move back to a studio. That'd be very exciting. Rather
3: than me,
0: it might talk more sense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to finish this off by imploring you to watch the first game back for La Liga and I think I'd be doing this no matter what the game was but the fact that it's a Seville derby obviously adds to the the intensity to the spice um Sevilla have been flying and Betis have been all over the shop frankly for for quite a lot of this season but we've seen from the Bundesliga that home advantage is like thoroughly diminished by the fact that there are no crowds we've seen how the first game back can can lead, lead itself to kind of anything happening put that into, term, into terms with this being probably the best derby in spain you know in terms of spice in terms of it being so close-knit in terms of all of these different things and i think that we have a real real catch on our hands for the first game and you know i'm, I'm excited uh, and i'm a little bit nervous something we've been talking about quite a lot is up to this point you've been watching the bundesliga with kind of Reckless abandon. You've been watching it with, like, oh, it's you know. I enjoy it when Leverkusen win, but you can't pick up a side overnight and and become kind of enthralled by them in, in the same way. I think that that will come with teams. in development. Whereas I'm now entering a world where I care quite deeply about the results again, and one, I'm I'm not sure I want that. <laughs> I quite enjoyed this kind of basically just neutrality or, or kind of ba- faux neutrality where you can basically want a side to win but not really worry about it when they lose whereas if if bettis loses derby i'm going to be thinking about it all weekend and that's going to be that and you know that's going to be exacerbated even further when the championship comes back the week after mm-hmm. and i have to worry about fulham and Betis again
2: but and then Serie A comes back and you've got to worry about Fiorentina. i know i know is I
1: know. there any really room in your heart for anything else jack I, my heart is always open. My heart is always <laughs> open. Um, but it's, you know, it's one of those where I'm I'm a little bit kind of nervous about it for the first time. And I suppose that adds to the butterflies, It adds to the excitement. And I'm just really, really excited for the Liga to come back. And Sam, we're going to be taking this one and, and and doing a little bit of commentary on it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We've cut our teeth in the Bundesliga. Three under our belt now. We're going to go head into match number four. Why not make it Sevilla uh, against Real Betis? I'm going to support Sevilla for the evening um obviously uh well I mean I've been I, I've been to Sevilla um I've been to the Ramon Sanchez Pith one I have not been to um to the, to the Via Marine um so I've, I've seen a Sevilla game I mean i the perfect i the
1: they're perfect the same, one. they're the same kind of colors as Granada
2: yeah very similar um I look a little bit like Simon Kiar like yeah we've got we've got a few we got a few things going on here I don't know it doesn't really play for them anymore but it's fine it's fine it works for our photoshop that you guys will see quite
1: soon yeah we've done, uh, we've done it we've done a good photoshop it's, it's quite exciting. special
2: it's quite special so uh, yeah we'll be commentating on that i'm uh, i'm excited it's gonna be a late one though thursday yeah. 9 p.m in england nine o'clock
1: start so nine till eleven and if you are on the it's good for you if you're on the west coast it means it's the first time you can probably listen to one of our commentaries without without it being six o'clock in the morning shouts out to rachel in hawaii um yeah. but it's um you know, it's very much one of those where we can we can kind of talk to everyone. And, and the lads in Australia will be awake because it will be the mor- next morning for them. Yeah. So so we're, we're all in on this one. This is uh, the perfect time for the entire rank squad all over the world. If you haven't hit us up on, on our commentary, uh, download the Hot Mic app, use the, t- the code RANKS when you, when you sign up. And you can pick Sam and I's commentary up uh, on Sevilla versus Real Betis on Thursday night. 9 p.m. UK, 4 p.m. Eastern, midday, no 1 p.m. 1 p.m. Western <laughs> and yeah across the world it's, uh, there's loads of stuff going on so yeah please come and join us it's um we do you know we'll focus on the game but also a little bit of wider chat about La Liga a little bit of questions it's, it's basically just coming and hanging out with us on a, a kind of extended podcast with a watch along so it'll be lots of fun and, and then at the end we'll obviously get Dean to, to name a melon of the week or a melon of the game and um, to, to really really kick things into overdrive um, but <laughs> he wasn't is... planning on watching this game and you've just shoehorned him into it I, can I see. have yeah he's uh, he's back
0: well they're the hours that I'm up on I now I've got a four week old baby just sat there to give me something to do. yeah we'll get you we'll get you a microphone
1: You'll be, the problem is that Reese will occasionally start wailing and we'll have to like we'll have to mute you for a while
0: yeah it's um, actually quite quiet in those hours so we might get away with it but yeah I'll just have to go I don't know put him down in a corner or something absolutely
1: right well that is it for this week's BR Football Ranks thank you so much for listening and we hope you're as excited about the return of La Liga as we are What's was left for me to do is say thank you so much to Dean Jones cheers mate thank you so much to Sam Tai thank you please do come and join us on Thursday for the Sevilla Betis game it's a whole lot of fun and a big rank squad hangout my name's Jack Collins thanks for listening take care